0: Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're going to look today at Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read the, all the way through to verse 13, the end of the chapter I'm certain we will not finish this today, but if the Lord tarries his coming, uh, we'll finish it next week. I don't want to get in a hurry. This has been a message that has burned in my soul. And I just beg God to give us the words today to say... I will say this before we read the text. I want to thank all of you for your prayers. I do ask you to keep praying for Loretta. She is still pretty weak, but we had the flu and uh it 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 was it was tough. Uh, according to the doctor, we had black Amazon. Episode 17 and some 18 um no i it we you know we've been blessed i've i've not had it in years and years but it was a different kind of christmas but we are all surviving and um god's been good to us and thank you for the food some of you brought and things like that it was so special um just I appreciate your prayers, and uh, Brother Mike Dawkins stepping up and preaching. I already had calls this week about, hey, will that guy be preaching again? And uh, had to break their hearts, Mike. But um, anyway, Isaiah chapter 6. I know we've heard this before, but I hope we hear it. In the next couple of weeks, like we've never heard it. I hope we see it at a depth like we've never imagined. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne lofty and exalted with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, that's plural for seraphs. Seraph is a word that means burning ones. It's also a word that means fiery serpents. It's the same word used in Numbers chapter 21 for the fiery serpents. So when we start to try to put together the image of what these things look like, there is so much that we don't know. But seraphim, that's plural already, im makes it such, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And this would have, according to the text and the intricacies uh, that we understand about the Hebrew description here, would have continued on and on and on. The whole earth is full of His glory, and the foundations of the thresholds tremble at the voice of Him who called out. Not, Not God's voice, God's yet to say a word, but just The voice of one of the seraphs, when he spoke that God was holy, the place was absolutely shaken while the temple was filling with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I'm ruined, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven and then I heard the voice of the Lord saying whom shall I send and who will go for us and then I said here am I send me and he said go and tell this people keep on listening but Do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. This is the paradox of Isaiah's calling. I want you to preach the truth to them because they need to hear it. The downside is, is the more they hear it, the harder their hearts will become. The less it'll mean to them. It'll seem more common and more ordinary than ever. So preach the truth because they need to hear it. But just know, Isaiah, they will not respond. And once you're finished preaching, they'll be further from responding than they were to start with. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. And then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until cities are devastated and without inhabitant houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. They're going into captivity. The tribes in the north are just a few years away. These two tribes in the south. They will go as well. The Lord has removed men far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it. And it will again be subject to burning. Like the terebinth or an oak. Whose stump remains... When it is failed, uh, elah is the word for tree here. Tree is fallen, but the stump remains, and the holy seed is its stump. This was an experience that changed Isaiah's life forever. He will never again see God the same way. And I want to just tell you, I know there's a lot of ideas among some denominations about second works of grace where you get saved and then later you receive the Holy Spirit and all of that. And that's not a biblical idea at all. It's, it's, it's actually the whole charismatic way of thinking is only about 150 years old. And so uh, that that's something that's strange to Scripture But I do understand from testimonies that I read and and even from uh, uh, testimonies that I hear from from those that that there sometimes is a time once a person has become a born-again Christian. Isaiah is not converted in this passage. He doesn't decide to leave paganism and follow God in Isaiah chapter 6. He has already done that, but this experience helped him to see God in a way like he had never seen Him before. And it absolutely changed his life. I want to give you a couple of examples. One of them is a man by the name of Chuck Colson. Some of you will remember him, others may not. But June the 1st, 1973, Chuck Colson was confronted with the gospel. A man named Tom Phillips shared the gospel with him. Chuck Colson had worked for President Nixon, and he was up to his neck in all of the foolishness that went on through Watergate. He went to prison for it. He had lied. His sins were so public and so uh, well-known to everybody. But Chuck Colson, on June the 1st, seventy-three. He said, I put my faith and trust in the gospel. As a matter of fact, Tom Phillips not only led him to Christ, he gave him a book that was so instrumental. And uh, I always love mentioning Clive Staple Lewis, but C.S. Lewis' book, Mere Christianity, was the book that he gave him. But Colson said, from that I fell on my face before God and I repented and I cried out to God and God saved me. But he said years later, he said, I went through a bit of a dry spell. He said, I I, I was at a place in my life where it just didn't seem right anymore, or that my excitement had waned, or I just didn't feel as close to God as I needed to. And he said, a friend recommended a book, not a book on how to be encouraged or how to pick yourself up when you're down, but he said, he recommended actually it was a a series of cassette tapes if you don't know what that is just look it up or ask one of us old people later but it was a series of cassette tapes and he said my friend told me says that R.C. Sproul has got a series of cassette tapes on the holiness of God and he said so I got them and I began to listen he says, when I got to take number six, I was on the floor with my face to the floor, crying out to God. Not getting saved again. But for the first time, he was realizing that, man, God is, my 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 whole idea about God has been so inadequate. Everything I've ever thought about God, you know, we think of God sometimes in terms that." are so inadequate we all do we think of him as some kind of superman or, or whatever we fail to realize that that God never came into being before he ever created anything he had already been here forever we fail to realize that not only does God know everything he knows everything right now, nothing will ever occur to him. He is totally separate from all of creation. It is not at all like, well, the world had lots of gods, and, and you know, that God you Baptist folks or whoever you might be, the one you serve, yeah, he threw his hat in the ring, and but there are lots of gods, and there are lots of this, that, and the other. But Colson said, that's when I began to understand stand that i was serving a god that i had failed to ever appreciate what it meant for him to be holy and uncommon that sense of otherness he says it changed my life forever let me give you another example the example of job you remember him of course it says Job was blameless and upright. I mean, where do you go from there? What what kind of experience could he possibly need that would absolutely turn him on for God? Or, or, or what is it that, that Job might have been missing? What perspective did, did he need to gain at this time? Well, you remember devastation hit Job's life and took away everything that he ever cared about. It was all gone. And of course, there was plenty who came around to try to tell him what was wrong. He had three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And if you read the book of Job, until you get to chapter 38, they all three take turns, one after the other, telling Job that, hey, you must have done something wrong because if you are really upright and your world fell apart then that means our theology has fallen apart we thought a fence i paraphrase was built around us because if we love god and do good good things will happen so why don't you just uh, tell us about it job we we won't tell uh yet Maybe you and the secretary, something going on there. Maybe a little trouble at home. What, what's the deal, Job? You need to tell us because unless you tell us what sin is going on in your life, then all of the things that have happened to you make no sense whatsoever. And our whole thinking of God and what He's like is just wrecked. He even got encouragement from His wife who finally looked at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? But then there was a time that Job himself began to question things. How could you blame him? Well, God doesn't speak until you get to chapter 38. Finally. God says, I have some things to say. We'll pick it up in Job chapter forty. It's a whole conversation God is having. He is addressing the fact that Job is questioning him. Well, what is going on, God? I, I, I don't understand. I know Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar are idiots. That's paraphrase. They're the three stooges of psychological counseling. But I, I kind of wonder myself, Chapter 40, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Job, and you got to be ready for this. He says, will the fault finder, that's Job, will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? You seem to have found some things about me that displease you, son. Have you found fault with me? Let him who reproves God answer it. You're, you're the one that has decided that I could stand a little reproof. Why don't you... Uh, why don't you share with the whole class your disgruntled attitude toward me as God? Verse 3, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and I will not answer. Even twice. And I will add nothing more. I'm, I'm done talking. Well, I would have thought, because I'm like Job and my understanding of God is so shallow that God would have said, okay, I don't want to hear any more of that. No, God wasn't finished. Verse 6, the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, well, now gird up your loins like a man. And I ask you, and you instruct me. Why don't you tell me what to do, Job? You seem to know. Why don't you instruct me? Will you really annul or darken my judgment? In other words, will you really cast doubt on my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? That's a powerful word. Because your understanding of me... Does it make sense right now? So are you going to look at me as a creator of the universe? Are you really going to tell me that my judgment is wrong? And you're going to do that just so you can have a convenient, well-packed, uh, well-designed, systematic understanding of the creator. Is that what you're going to do to me, Job? I, I would not have wanted to be in Job at that point. Verse 9, or do you have an arm like God? Maybe you do. And can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity, and clothe yourself with honor and majesty, pouring out the overflowings of your anger? Can you do that? And and look on everyone who is proud and make him low. Can you do that, Job? Look on everyone who is proud and humble him and tread down the wicked where they stand. Can you do that? Hide them in the dust together. Bind them in the hidden place. He said, if you can do all of that, he says, I'll make a deal, then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. If you've got that depth of understanding, you can save yourself, Joe. Boy, I love this part. Job 42. I'm just skipping on ahead. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no pur- purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's talking about himself. He said, I casted doubt upon your counsel, but it was because I was ignorant. Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I love this. But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract, and I repent in dust and ashes. Man, you, you see, I, I wonder. Cornerstone, is this is this the key we've been looking for all these years as a pastor? Me, uh, personally, wondering. Well, well, what is it that we're not getting, God? Why? Why is it if you are all these things that we Claim you are, and sing that you are, and profess that you are. Then why is it, God? It just seems like we just can't dance fast enough to even get people to come to church, God. And 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 well, what is it that we're missing? or we are there? Just something that is that is amiss here. And 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 I think the problem is we need to have an experience like Chuck Colson and Isaiah and And job, we need a fresh understanding of the God whom we serve. Uh, matter of fact, I think a lack of understanding of god is is that which has made casual Christianity possible. I cannot believe that if we really understood who God is, if we claim Him as our Savior and to have a personal relationship with Him, no one would ever have to beg us to come to the house of God. No one would ever have to beg us to make God a priority in our life. I think this casual understanding of God is why we actually think we own the money that's in our pockets and bank accounts and, or that we own our own homes or that we have rights on this earth. I think it is also why that prayer and intimacy with God is something that we have to discipline ourselves to do. Imagine how it would make your spouse feel if you said, look, I... I got this uh, thing on my clock or my phone, it's an app that it will remind me every few days to tell you I love you. It's really cool. (laughs) I wouldn't hand her the phone right then. Why do we need that? Why is prayer and spending time with Him a discipline? We got to do more of that or or, 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 we need a good book to to get us uh, focus on on God or all of that. I, I just think that a proper understanding of God, and I understand that yeah, I know this is a place and 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 I have kind of grown weary of this business of well you don 't have to go to a building. We have to be the church and and all of that. I, I understand all that and I agree with all that but that is exactly what I'm talking about. I think if we get a clear understanding of God and realize that once a week, why well, not more but at least once a week we get to come together with other believers who serve this holy awesome God. I got news for you. I don't think any of us would try to be one of those pure that decides, well, I don't need the church. It held me back. I'm, 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 man, I'm closer to God now than I've ever been in my life. I can tell you, I believe our churches would be filled if we had that kind of understanding of God. Well, we've looked at Colson and Job. Let's take a look at Isaiah. Don't know how far we'll get. Looks like my time is Party up, and since I can no longer pretend I can't see the clock. But let's look at least, verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah's death. You can stop right there. That was a pivotal point. That was part of what brought all this about. Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. He became king when he was 16 years old. He was one of the best kings that ever ruled in Judah. You remember, if he's a good king, he didn't rule in Israel, right? They never had a good one. Never. Not one. Those were the ten tribes in the north. The two tribes in the south had about six good ones. And one of them was Uzziah. Fifty-two years of prosperity. Prosperity. 52 years of increasing their military might. 52 years he spent building the walls of Jerusalem and fortifying them even greater. And he built towers and added them all around to face the enemy if anyone came. 52 years, it says, that he actually would reclaim desert areas with irrigation and things like that and there's one verse I think in one of the books of the chronicles that says that he loved the soil (laughs) he loved the soil he defeated the Philistines and there were some Arabians one time that came against him and he defeated them as well and the Ammonites not only did they not bother him or Jerusalem but the Ammonites paid tribute during this time this man knew how to lead now he had some problems we'll look at but I want to tell you when Isaiah says in the year that King Uzziah died that is a pivotal point the one we had put our faith and our trust in I'm not saying that they did it in a sinful way but it's just like in our world today we have been blessed and I say blessed to have been born in the United States of America, what a great, great country, best country in the entire world. I just, I don't make any apology for that whatsoever. I I just don't. But I can tell you, when our king dies, when we keep going in the direction we're headed right now, all of those things that we have been able to trust and, and wake up and take for granted every day of our lives, those things are slowly slipping away. And what's going to happen when King Uzziah is dead? I'm not talking about the president, I'm talking about our faith in the political system that has protected us and, and has provided blessing for us and ha, has, has created us uh, differently than most of the rest of the world what, what a great place it has been but I, I can tell you we see some signs on the horizon you'd have to be blind not to that, that this thing that we've always leaned upon I mean I've never been shot at trying to come to this place to worship God. We don't pass bodies hanging in trees by the neck of others who didn't make it last week. They were caught or by the authorities. No one has ever burst in the doors here and threatened to take our lives. We have lived in this freedom. But I want to tell you something. One of these days, I believe, first of all, as a nation, as a group of people, the day is coming when God's going to get our attention like He did Isaiah's. You remember a few years ago I thought about this this week. All anyone could talk about was the deficit. Wow. The deficit. Man, I were deficit at one time. Oh, good Lord. It was like $21 trillion. Incredible. Incredible. Remember how worried we were about it? No one could get on television. Every politician would promise they're going to bring it down. They're going to address it. They're going to do a lot. I've not even heard about the deficit lately. It's so a good thing it's not still $21 trillion, I guess. only problem is it's $34 trillion and growing. That means that name on that money you've worked hard and saved, it's got the name of a drunk sailor who likes to gamble written on it. And it may be worthless before we realize it. There are some objective economists that tell us that 2024 is likely to be the year. Some things have aligned themselves to the point That this could be the year we wake up one morning and our world is upside down. So here's the point. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Here's the message. Uzziah is dead, but God is not. That's how we have to live. That's how we'll get through whatever comes our way I love that there's a another in the fire there's another in the water holding back the sea and God is trying to help Isaiah to understand that yes Uzziah is dead and he did some great things and 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 but people like Uzziah and and Different political situations and different financial situations, they come and go. They can change overnight, but he says, I am God, and I am very much alive. That's where we have to put our faith and trust. It's so amazing, and I'm going to say something. I hope it doesn't upset you unnecessarily, but I can tell you, I'll be 64 years old in March. March. I'll be registered at Cabela's if you're interested, just letting you know. Never in my life have I seen the United States have worse leadership. If that makes you mad, I don't care. It's the worst I've ever seen in my life. Our leaders can't find their way out of a phone booth. And it's going to get worse. And we got here because of hatred. One, we didn't want to win. But he won the first time because there was a her we didn't want to win. <laughs> look how, look how they, we've just gone down this road and now look where we are. It is so incredible. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm just saying to you, we have to take and put our faith and trust in a God who will be alive tomorrow. And He will be alive forever. And I know we've been rocked to sleep because we have been living in such a blessed country, but i got news for you. When King Uzziah dies, when the political system that we have enjoyed is gone and destroyed, and I believe that will happen, I don't see any way around it. No one seems to have enough sense or courage to put a stop to the rot. But that's not where our faith should be anyway. Our faith should be in God. In April of 1966, Time Magazine quoted a guy named Thomas Altizer. Altizer, he studied theology. He was a scholar, I guess. He applied to be a bishop with the Episcopal Church, but couldn't pass the psychological evaluation. I don't know what all was on that. But he kept talking about he felt like the devil was trying to possess him and different things like that. And so I didn't know they had a psych exam. Maybe we need one in Baptist churches. I don't know. But he couldn't pass that. But he had all kind of ideas about God. And he declared in nineteen. 66, April the 8th, that God is dead. And Time Magazine put it right on the cover. They asked the question, actually, is God finally dead? 1966, God is dead, Thomas Altizer, November 28th, 2018, Thomas Altizer is dead. Sign God. And God's still alive. And Altizer, he just followed a long line of tyrants and fools into the dust of the earth while God lived on alive and well. I'm going to close here. We'll pick up next week. There was an interview one time that if you know these names, I know you know one of them. Just me naming them will get your attention, but you know something's good's coming when I tell you this. Rob Bell was being interviewed by Oprah. And Rob Bell was telling Oprah, you remember Rob Bell was a former Christian, you know, he's I don't even know what he is. But he condemned the scriptures. He said the Bible is an archaic book. It's full of old tales that mean nothing anymore. He didn't used to be this way. But boy, Rob has evolved or devolved over the years. He is a heretic. So Oprah is interviewing him one day. And he tells her, he says, you know the Bible... It's not something that we need to follow anymore. It's archaic, outdated. And Oprah looked at him and says, When is the church finally going to get that? Oh, Oprah. What a theologian. When is the church going to finally get that? I'm telling you, that's what's going on all around us. That's the world in which we live. But I want to tell you this. I hope you'll read this chapter again this week. You know what would help too? Take some time and read the book of Job. It'll take you a little while. It'd do you good to be acquainted with Ellie Foss, Bill, Dad, and Zophar, formerly known as Larry, Moe, and Curly, but you just read some of the things they said. But read Job. But read this passage again. Next Sunday morning, Lord's willing. I want us to come back here. And I want us to see how God rocked the whole world for Isaiah. We need to hear this, friend. It says the place shook. When things start to shake that don't normally shake, man, I'm telling you. That's an interesting time. That'll help you to get your focus on God. I've seen that before. You, you have to. Some of you have experienced it. When marriages end that weren't supposed to end, have you been through that? A lot of you have. When people, a spouse was supposed to have been faithful and wound up not being, that's something that's moving that's not supposed to move. That will shake your world to the core A job that was supposed to last forever. The company moves to China. Man, a child that was supposed to outlive you and didn't. That's things that shake, man. God says when those kind of things shake that normally don't, He said that's when you're going to need your focus on me. God's got a word for us. I hope you'll come back next Sunday. Let's hear what God has to say. Let's bow. God, I pray you help us now. You've whet our appetite. You have invited us, Lord, to come for counsel. Eternal truth. Words of wisdom that will never change. God, I pray that you'll help us now. Use this week to prepare our hearts to hear more about You and to understand what Your nature is like. God, help us to refocus. Lord, we we do worry. We love our country. Lord, we love where we live and we have been so blessed, but God, it may be difficult without some shaking. Unless Uzziah dies, Lord, we may never Turn to You like Isaiah had to. So Lord, walk with us through that. Lord, when that darkness comes, let us be lights. Let us be lights because of the God we serve and the faith that we have in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.